Welcome. You are listening to the Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm Meryl Arnett, mama, meditator, and head of mindfulness for Shoreline Meditation App. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a 20-minute guided meditation. If these meditations support you and your practice, please consider donating to the show to support its continued growth, new offerings, and its ever-expanding team. You can find the link in today's show notes or simply visit merylarnett.com and click on podcast. All right, y'all, let's practice. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode of the Mindful Minute. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, I get to introduce you to a new sponsor of the Mindful Minute. I have been super fortunate to introduce not one, but two sponsors in the last month. And I just wanted to take a minute to first tell you guys, without a shadow of a doubt, I only bring sponsors on that are companies I actually use and trust. I promise. I say no way more often than I say yes. These are companies I'm legit excited to tell you about because I believe in them. So today's company, Baron Fig, super pumped to introduce you guys to them. Baron Fig makes the best notebooks and journals you have ever used. And if you've listened to episodes of The Mindful Minute, you know I am a big proponent of journaling after your meditation practice. This is how we remember the wisdom from our practice. It's how we stay awake. Well, Baron Fig has got you covered. Their line of guided editions is the perfect introduction to journaling to get you started on your wellness journey. Baron Fig is a startup. It launched back in 2013, introducing a really smart, well-designed notebook. It originally started out as this small project between friends, and within 30 days, they had sold 10,000 of these notebooks. They realized there was a lack of quality thinker products on the market. And since then, Baron Fig has expanded their line of tools for thinkers to include guided journals, notebooks, writing instruments, bags, accessories, more. I currently use their guided meditation journal, and I have to tell you, I love it. It is smart. It is clean. I can do my journaling in five to 10 minutes. It's easy for me to flip back and find what I'm looking for if I want to reference an earlier practice. It is brilliant. Now you get to use code MINDFULMINUTE21, MINDFULMINUTE21, and you receive 20% off your first purchase. So you can load up on notebooks, on journals that walk you through meditation, habit forming, organization, everything. Baron Fig not only works towards championing thinkers from around the world through inspiration and imagination, but they're also dedicated to leaving the earth better than they found it. For every confident notebook sold, Baron Fig plants a tree with tens of thousands of trees planted and counting. Get your meditation journal, get a confidant notebook, and plant a tree today. Go to baronfig.com, that's B A R O N F I G.com, and use code MINDFULMINUTE21 at checkout to receive 20% off your order. Baron Fig, do your best thinking. 
Today is a very special day, you guys. I get to share a conversation with one of my favorite teachers, Tracy Stanley. Without a doubt, you have heard her name before on this podcast. And without a doubt, if you listen to one of my episodes from four or five years ago, and then you listen to some from today, you'll notice a huge difference in my teaching. Much of this evolution is due to the guidance and practices that Tracy has shared with me over the last many years. Tracy Stanley is the founder of Empowered Life Circle, and she shares teachings that are inspired by more than 20 years of study in the traditions of the Himalayan masters and Sri Vidya Tantra. Her focus is honoring life as a ritual. She's devoted to yoga nidra, meditation, self-inquiry, nature, and ancestor reverence. She's the creatrix of the Empowered Life Inquiry Oracle Deck. Y'all know I love an oracle deck. And she's the host of Radiant Rest Podcast, which celebrates the practices, teachers, and traditions that prioritize the rituals of rest, sacred dreaming, and self-care. Today, Tracy's going to talk to us about the power and grace of yoga nidra, why we should practice both yoga nidra and meditation, and how to find the time to do both. Tracy was also kind enough to share a special practice with us. This practice is called Moon Nectar. It's one of my personal favorites. And this practice is actually for you to download and keep. So rather than hear the practice in today's episode, you're going to see a link in the show notes. After you listen, you can click that link, download the practice, and save it for you to use as often as you like. I hope you love it as much as I do. And now, without any further ado, let's meet Tracy. Well, Tracy Stanley, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I have said your name so many times on this podcast, and I'm happy that listeners finally get to hear your voice. Thank you so much, Meryl. It's so nice to be here and it's an honor to be invited. So I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. So I want to talk today about your book, Radiant Rest. I want to talk about yoga nidra as a practice, but I thought maybe we could start with you just telling us a little bit about who Tracy Stanley is and maybe how you started your yoga journey. Mm. Yeah, so um, I was born in New York on Long Island to parents that were very strict. (laughs) Um, And so I grew up being very introverted. And I think that the gift of that introversion was that I actually learned to deeply listen. And I actually learned to tune into my intuition very early on, even though I didn't learn later that I needed to listen to it. You know, my journey with yoga has, it feels like it's been, it had been trying to call me for so many years before I actually found it. You know, I was an avid reader when I was a young kid. And one of the first books that I remember reading that had anything to do with yoga was this book called Chant and Be Happy. And it was by one of the Beatles. I can't remember which one. It might have been George Harrison. And in the book, they had the Hare Krishna chant. And I remember like chanting it. And then of course, later hearing um, my sweet Lord that had the, the chant underneath it. 
And at the same time, back in the day, whenever I would travel with my family, I would be like mesmerized by the Hare Krishnas who would be at the airport. And I, and then I realized later in life when I was cleaning some things out from my childhood home that I had all of these copies of the Bhagavad Gita. I had been given all of these copies of the Bhagavad Gita as a child traveling. And so I feel like it had always been calling me. And then one day when I was in my early twenties, I had um, kind of a spontaneous meditation moment when I was watching the sunrise on my balcony. I didn't know what happened, but I did know that things got very still and very quiet and that it felt like the stillness was emerging from within me. And I started trying to figure out what had happened in that moment because I knew that it was very profound. I was lucky enough to have a friend who guided me to a spiritual bookstore, put like six books in my hand and said, go read these. And after I read those, I was on my way to kind of begin really searching first for meditation and then found yoga. And so, you know, I was lucky also that my yoga journey kind of dovetailed with my career as a film producer. And as I was becoming more successful as a producer, I was deepening my practice of yoga and moving more into yoga philosophy and Tantra and Sri Vidya and meditative, more quiet practices, even though we were doing a lot of dynamic asana. And I feel like that became the foundation that allowed me to hold this really successful, busy career, being in a relationship, having stepchildren, have, you know, just being able to hold it all and not look at yoga as something that you do just for that hour that you go to the studio, but something that actually begins to infuse within your life in every moment, even when you're working, right? Even when you're running a team of however many people that you can bring those principles and the philosophy in. And so eventually I really wanted to let go of the film producing because there were so many elements of it that I couldn't, you know, uh, I don't want to say control, but, you know, media is very powerful. And when you're given a project that doesn't align with your personal principles and you realize the power of that media to go out and affect millions of people, that was something that I felt like I can have more of an effect by sharing the practices of yoga than I can making an action movie with Steven Seagal. <laughs> so. <laughs> so here I am. That's a long answer to your story, but I'm, I, I'm not a spring chicken. So I've had a very full, full lives, maybe many, many lives in one lifetime. So <laughs> that's an amazing story. And I'm interested in that you were really pulled into meditation first and yoga second. That's the opposite for me. I found meditation through yoga. And so I'm curious just a little bit about what were those first practices like? What were you practicing? Oh, I love this question. So one of the books that I was given by my friend Andoni Anatazi, who was the one who gave me all these books when I had that spontaneous meditation moment, was a book on uh, tantric meditation by Harish Johari. Mm. And so this is 
before the time of having any kind of audio. So basically you would read the practice and then you would just do the practice based on what you remembered from reading. And so I remember doing this practice. I was sitting in my apartment. I was living in South Africa at the time and I was doing this, this practice. And, you know, in retrospect, it was a chakra meditation, but I did not know that until later. <laughs> and I had no idea what a chakra was, even though it was explained in the book, it was like way over my head. And so I did this meditation focusing on different parts of my body, which were the chakras and visualizing different colors. And I believe that there may have even been like um, shapes or geometrical shapes that were being visualized. And I did this meditation and at the end of the meditation, towards the end of the meditation, this vibrant rainbow of colors and magic, it was like this mystical experience. I was like, wow, this is what meditation is. You know, this is incredible. And so that was the first hook into meditation. At the time in South Africa, where I was living, there weren't really any public kind of meditation classes that you could go to. So I was continuing to do that meditation. And when I got back to um, LA, I didn't really know the difference between Buddhist meditation, tantric meditation, mindful, I, you know, it was basically it was meditation. So I just went to the phone book and I looked and I found um, the Zen meditation center. And so I went to the Zen meditation center and I remember they had us sit in, you know, cross-legged seat facing the wall and then having our eyes partially open. And I thought, oh, this isn't like this meditation that I remember doing, you know, this other meditation that had all these colors and it was so fantastical. And so then I realized, okay, I'm going to go and start reading about meditation. And so that was the beginning of my meditation journey. But I luckily then found yoga and found a teacher who was also an expert at teaching tantric meditation practices. So I, I think I got very lucky that my yoga, my first yoga teacher actually was infusing meditation very deeply. It's, it was basically like the only reason why we're doing these asanas is because we're gonna meditate for 20 minutes at the end of this practice. So that was very fortunate that I was able to find someone um, who could lead me in that direction. That is, I love that story so much. And I have to tell you, I, I just was smiling the whole time because my experience was the complete opposite. And in my early experience, I just, I was so in my brain. I had no ability to be willing to eat. Like, had you said to me 10 years ago, I saw this rainbow and this huge mystical experience happened. I would have either overtly or subtly rolled my eyes and kind of been like, <laughs> no, you didn't, that doesn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. And my first training in meditation was a Tantra training. I did it for five days and I left being like, it was way over my head. I, could, I couldn't go there yet. And I found mindfulness, which spoke to my need to understand and use my brain. And it was only a decade of mindfulness practice later that I was able to be like, oh God, those experiences are real. 
right? These deeper experiences are real. And I, I just think it's very cool that you started at the opposite end of that spectrum. And here we are together <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> it's it's amazing. And, and it's interesting because there has been a study that was done and I can provide the link for you if your readers would like it about the mystical things that happen when we meditate consistently. Yeah. Oh, I would love to include that in the show notes. That's cool. So when did yoga nidra show up for you? Hmm. You know, luckily I found this teacher in 2001. Um, his name is Yoga Rupa Rod Stryker. And it, as far as I knew, I'm sure there were others you know, when I realized that there was a deeper aspect to yoga other than the asanas, I started looking for a teacher who could lead me to what I felt was the promise of the yoga sutras. And I kept getting pointed to the same person. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go check this guy out. And I went to one class, uh, which was an asana class, and it included, you know, dynamic asana chanting while practicing asana. So breath-centric asana, that was the first time that I had ever experienced anything like that. Meditation, deep relaxation in Shavasana. And I remember that he was offering a satsang like the next week. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the satsang. And in the satsang, we had like maybe, I don't know, 30 minutes of conversation. And then he said, okay, everyone lie down in Shavasana. And I was like, well, wait a second. Like we haven't done any movement. Why are we laying down in Shavasana? And then he guided us through this deep relaxation technique. And the feeling that I had in the moments in that practice were first of all, losing all awareness of time and space, where I was physically, the fact that I had a body. And then also this feeling of like supreme bliss and just peace. And that was the first experience. Um, and then I was, I studied with him for many, many years and yoga nidra became something that I was very interested in learning more about. And then I learned that there was a, a teacher named Swami Veda Bharati in the same tradition who had really dedicated his life to a lot of things, but yoga nidra being one of them. And so I started to read everything I could find, look, watch all his videos. Then I got a chance to meet him and study with him very briefly. And that, you know, it, it was something that I recognized almost like that moment when I had the spontaneous meditation, that something profound had happened. And that this thing that had happened, this state of consciousness, I would say, that I felt was going to transform me. It was something that was life-changing. Mm -hmm. And I, so for listeners who will likely be very familiar with meditation, that's what we typically talk about and maybe have never heard yoga nidra before, mm. you know, we do a, a cursory search and I think what comes up is yoga sleep and a lot of classes tend to offer it as sort of a lovely nap. And my experience with you is that is not at all what is happening. And I wonder if you might tell us a little bit about how you present yoga nidra. That's such a great question. So yoga nidra, you're right. When you look it up on, and if you Google, the first thing that probably will come up is the yoga of sleep or sleep with the slight trace of awareness. And all of that is true. 
And at the same time, this is the practice that we go to sleep in order to wake up to our lives. And how we do that is that we, we lie in a position, so an asana or an asana, that is perfectly and supremely comfortable, that we don't have to do anything because this is the practice of non-doing. So finding a comfortable position where you can lie down and be supported, whether that's with props or whatever you need, side lying. And then for beginners, we are guided by someone systematically through the body to relax parts of our body, to begin diaphragmatic breathing, to be able to notice that the body is breathing and allow the body to become effortless as it watches itself breathe and then watch the breath become effortless. And then at some point we may feel that our awareness of the physical body starts to dissolve. It almost feels like we're not sure where our body ends and begins. Where does the floor begin? Where am I? And at the same time, we start to become aware of prana, of our vital life force. And we can start to surrender more and more to the point where we follow prana back to its source. We, we allow prana to guide us back to, to source. And so yoga nidra is a, it's a practice of dissolution. So it is in the category of what we would say is laya yoga, the yoga of dissolution. It is also a pratyahara practice. So it is the pratyahara is the fifth limb of yoga. It means withdrawal of the senses. And one of the um, my favorite definitions of pratyahara comes from Swami Veda Bharati, which is that it is the withdrawal of the senses so that we can reassimilate into our true nature. So yoga nidra allows us to release everything that is name and form and to really reunite with that where, which from where we come. And at the same time, we are moving through the states of consciousness. We're moving through the waking state, the dreaming state, the sleep state, and moving towards the portal of what is known as the fourth, which is this place that is said to be peace beyond words. So yoga nidra is actually a full system of yoga that leads to this place that is said to be close to nirvikalpa samadhi. Nirvikalpa means no thought and samadhi is the place of bliss or, and we can even say it's the final place of, of yoga. And some definitions say that yoga, the state of consciousness, not the thing we do when we're doing the poses is samadhi. So we can think of yoga nidra as this technique that is a deep relaxation technique that leads us towards the state of yoga nidra, which is this place that is close to peace beyond words. And at the same time, it is presided over by this feminine force of the divine feminine that is the one that holds and nurtures and supports us, which we can think about being the mother earth, we can think about her being a goddess because she is talked about in some of the, the texts like the Devi Mahatma. And so there's really three different aspects of yoga nidra. 
And at the same time, even though I refer to myself as a yoga nidra teacher or guide, I am not the one who is leading you to yoga nidra, right? I'm not making anything happen. We cannot make the state of consciousness happen. What we're doing is we are merely preparing for this grace of yoga nidra, this state of consciousness to descend upon us. It's just like in meditation, we can close our eyes and cross our legs. We are not in the state of meditation until we are. Mm-hmm. And so you bring me to my next question because I know that you practice yoga nidra and meditate, as do I. Why do we do both? Why is it not one versus the other? Mm. Well, I my feeling is, is that yoga nidra deepens our meditation practice 100%. I mean, that was the first thing that I started to notice when I dedicated myself to a daily yoga nidra practice. My meditation practice was like 10,000 fold. I would drop in so deeply, so quickly. And I really feel like, you know, in meditation, our spine is perpendicular to the floor. So there is a certain type of wakefulness that's happening and a certain type of energy rising from the base of the spine towards the crown of the head. And that when we are in yoga nidra, most likely our spine is closer to parallel to the floor. So there's a sense of inertia and tamas and a remembrance of what it feels like to actually be sleeping. And the thing that we're doing when we're in yoga nidra is that we're we're touching into this place within us that is always awake and aware. And that consciousness weaves through all of the states of consciousness, as well as being aware of the transitions between them, right? And so we get to touch into these liminal spaces that normally would be the gateway to normal sleep. But instead, we've, we allow ourselves to hover in that liminal space and we begin to become awake in a different way. So what I would say is that in yoga nidra, there are so many things that in our waking state are veiled from us that become available to touch into when we're in this place of repose that I feel is a bit different than meditation. And so I say both, (laughs) right? Is that you could really practice yoga nidra, savor that liminal space, maybe do some journaling or free writing if if it feels right, and then move yourself into a short meditation practice afterwards. And then once again, go into some free writing because we, you know, at the end of the day, these practices are all, about self-remembrance. They're all about being able to, you know, uh, be in this place of smirti or memory and retention. And all too often our lives are so busy and there's so much to do once we quote unquote finish our practice that we forget the lessons. We forget that we leave the nectar behind that has come from the fruits of our practice. So yeah, I think I I don't say verses. I say both. (laughs) I'm in full support of that. And that's been my exact experience is 
as yoga nidra became part of my daily practice, my meditation practice significantly deepened. It, in a, it took me less time to go deeper mm-hmm. than it did previously. I think more than anything, and I, I have struggled with it because I think about this a lot because I get the question a lot, and I don't think this is the right analogy. But in some ways, maybe it's because it's meditation is seated and yoga nidra is lying down. But I always feel a sense of like meditation, something about it feels more masculine to me. And I'm so aware of yoga nidra feeling very feminine to me. That's my personal experience of it. So anyways, I I always am reflecting on that question. I love that, that you shared that because I do, what I do think is that the practice of yoga nidra allows us to touch in and really trust the fact that we are supported. Yes. It allows us to, to have a relationship with the breath that I think is a little bit different than in, than meditation, depending on which lineage or how we were trained in meditation. And then I also think that the awareness of prana or the sensitivity to prana can be more profound for a beginner in yoga nidra. Like I feel like the people that I work with and train, they have very profound experiences practicing yoga nidra, even just for the first time, mm-hmm. which is seems to be different than the experience in meditation People can have deep experiences, but a lot of times there's this feeling of, oh, I'm not doing it right. Am I following the directions? My knees hurt, my back hurts. I can't get comfortable. I can't sit still. I There's something about, I think, the familiarity of this posture of repose and the idea of sleep because we're used to it. And also there's a longing, I feel like, to touch that part of us that is always at rest, that there's, I I don't know exactly what it is, but I do understand, I hear what you're saying. And I definitely feel like when we practice yoga nidra and then we come back to our meditation, we kind of bring those awarenesses of, oh, I am supported. And, oh, you know, I can move into effortless breathing. And those two things right away, when you're in meditation, that's going to cause you to possibly go deeper more quickly. Um, so that's why I think that they're, 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 they need to be, <laughs> they need to be together. Yes. So this brings me to my favorite part of your book, <laughs> because we say these practices should go together which takes your potential 10 minute morning meditation now to 40 minutes, 45, an hour, depending on if you journal. And we're busy. We're busy. And I know that I have said to you, probably, I don't have time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I remember that. (laughs) And and as it turns out, I do have time. Mm -hmm. And so in your book, my personal favorite piece of your book is this householder's prayer, this reminder that our practice is woven into our busy lives. And I wondered if you might read that for us and talk to us a little bit about this. Oh, absolutely. So the householder's prayer. 
The altar is in my heart. The sun and the moon are my gurus. I trust the earth to support me. Each time I close my eyes, I enter the void. My heart is the portal to my sacred cave. I whisper the names of the divine as I prepare my meals. I notice the flow of my beloved's breath as they fall asleep. And I synchronize my breath to the flow of love. I place a blessing in the pause between the breaths. I hold the power to create a new reality with every thought. I honor silence as a blessing. I explore who I am and who I am not in the mirror of relationship. I question my beliefs with curiosity and courage. I honor my ancestors. I lay down all self-doubt with compassion and forgiveness. I remember the light of my soul as I enter the dream state. I recall the beauty of truth as I transition from sleep to waking. I know the vibration of truth. I remember that nothing is mundane. I honor the power of the transition as a portal to transformation. Everything is an offering. My life is a sacred ritual. So beautiful. Every time I hear that, things just slow down. Like in, even right in the second, I feel that a sense of, I just took a breath as I was listening to that. What does it mean to be in the middle of our lives and create space for these practices? You know, we have so much space that we don't see, that we don't honor that we don't recognize. And so in the slowing down, we get to see the space. But what I think needs to happen for us, or at least it did for me, was a reframe of what it means to have a practice. Because the models that we have been shown and that we read about are people who have dedicated their lives to practice who are probably and oftentimes living in a cave or living in an ashram. And they've gotten to these places of this, these realizations based on having that spaciousness and the support of the village or the support of the people who come and bring the meals, right? And that that is not the reality of how we live, or at least not for me. And so I think we really need to look towards the mothers the ones who were raising the children and they were teaching them the mantras at bedtime or bath time. And they were leading them through deep relaxation in order to help them fall asleep. And they were waking up early before the rest of the family to, to do their puja. And then, you know, the children were coming and being a part of it. It wasn't like, oh, get out. You, you can't come in. It was like, let me share this with you. And so, you know, I think that for us, we really have to think about our entire life as a practice and let go of this idea that really is part of the commodification of yoga, that your yoga practice means that you have to have a yoga mat out and you have to travel to a studio or watch something on video for an hour 
And if you're not doing that, then your practice somehow is not valid. And we have to find ways that work for each of us personally in how we can create this devotion and to know that a yoga practice isn't any more valid if it's an hour and a half than if it's three minutes. And these practices can be done in one minute, two minutes. And so really it's just about giving yourself permission to kind of dismantle everything that you've been told about what yoga is and how it needs to be practiced in order for you to be a good yogi or yogini, right? And so, you know, the simplest things that we can do is two minutes of alternate nostril breathing in the morning, two minutes at noon, and two minutes before you go to sleep. Taking a moment to watch the transition of the light in the sky. If you're lucky enough to be able to have a view where you can see the sunrise or the sunset, learn the Gayatri mantra or listen to the Gayatri mantra and just recite one verse of that Gayatri mantra or one round of the Gayatri mantra as you watch the sunrise, as the sun is in, set in noon, as it's coming down in, at sunset. Those are, you know, you can have your yoga mat laid out and just do two poses in the morning, two poses at night. And then when you lay down in your bed, you can just allow yourself to release, notice your breath, say a prayer, place it in your heart center and go to sleep. These are things that take less than two minutes to do. And once you start to dedicate yourself to saying, okay, I'm going to find six minutes in my day. I'm going to practice three times for two minutes doing one of these things that maybe I just mentioned. You then start to see your time and your space much differently because you start to realize all the ways in which you waste time or that you have distractions where you could actually be practicing, reading, taking a bath, resting, chanting, doing whatever it is that brings you back to center because it's going to be different for everybody. And I think this is one of the most important things because it is the thing that I hear the most is that I don't have time. Mm -hmm. And when I hear that I don't have time, what I often hear or feel underneath that is this deep, deep longing to have another life. It's almost like there's this idea that people who have a lot of time to practice, you know, don't have, they don't have any responsibilities. And sometimes that's true. I know many people who have no responsibilities and they practice for like, you know, three hours a day. <laughs> that being said, most of us have responsibilities. And I think the the thing is, is that once we start to see our days in a different way as days that are filled with devotion and opportunities for us to touch in to who we are and then to share that perhaps with our children and our family, then how we see our life, I think, begins to, to shift because we can, we can bring these things into our life and we don't have to be living on top of a mountain somewhere to do it. Yeah. And I'll just second that by saying I've done a lot of the practices that you've just mentioned and you're absolutely right. And I do indeed practice three times a day, almost every single day with two little children. And 
had you said to me four years ago, whenever, that this is what you're going to do, I would have said no. I would have said no. And it was one tiny change at a time that it wasn't me saying, well, now I'm going to practice three three times a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It never would have happened. But it was, can you practice in the morning for this amount of time? And notice one of the practices I did with you, a a departure point practice for me was television. And I was like, I'm just going to notice how much TV, because that was tended to be my decompression choice. And I, I had a whole nother day when I let go of that. I mean, I couldn't even believe it. I didn't know how much time I was quote unquote decompressing and not actually doing anything that regulated my nervous system or made me feel better. And so I'm, I'm in full support of what you just said, because I've lived it and it does indeed make a difference. Mm, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, it really does. And so you've also just released a membership, Empowered Life Circle, that has some of these practices. I loved the Gayatri practice you just released. (laughs) Thank you. So good. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So Empowered Life Circle is really a place for people to gather who are interested in deeper practices and practices that can be woven into life pretty seamlessly. You know, it would be great to share two hour practices, but I'm really making an effort to keep the practices around 15 to 20 minutes so that people can tune in once a week to get a new practice or, a, you know, yoga nidra practice, whatever it is. But it's really my offering because I have received, I have been very, very fortunate to have received a lot of teachings and to be, have been studying, you know, for the last 20 years. And I have a, I feel like I have a lot to, to give and to share. And because I'm no longer doing yoga teacher trainings right now, it's a really a way for me to have a library and create a library so that people can be in community around these practices and in discussion in ways that I think are not always available because sometimes we do these trainings and then we're disconnected from the sangha and we're disconnected from the teacher because the certification is over and we're and, and we have questions or things come up. So this is really just a way for me to support the community of people that want to go deeper into yoga nidra, want to go deeper into mantra, into meditation. And yeah, it's just evolving as we go. So I'm I'm very excited about it. It's been so lovely. And I do love the show. I did the morning movement practice this morning. It was, I think, 16 minutes long. And, you know, it, it is, it's lovely to know that I can go and find something that I know I can fit in my day. And it does carry with it. It, it carries with it a weight. It feels, you, you explain what we're doing. You explain where it came from, why these practices are relevant for the morning or relevant for the evening or the time of the month that we're in. And um, yeah, it's been lovely. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Thank you. Will you tell us where we can find more information about your, you, your book, Empowered Life Circle? Where should we find you? Yes. Thank you so much for asking. So um, you can go to radiantrest.com to find all things about the book and also my podcast, Radiant Rest. 
If you're interested in trying out the Empowered Life Circle, you can go to empoweredlifecircle.com. And if you're interested in events, everything kind of leads you to the same place, but you can go to Tracy with two E's yoga.com to find out more. Thank you so much. Thank you. And all of these links will be in the show notes for anybody who is interested. Thanks. Big thanks to our sponsor, Mindful and Modern. Mindful and Modern offers a full range of accessories for seated meditation practice, including cushion sets, bamboo kneeling benches, and even chairs with extra back support. Visit mindfulandmodern.com and use code MINDFULMINUTE10 to save 10% off your next order. mindfulandmodern.com and use code MINDFULMINUTE10. Thanks for listening to The Mindful Minute. If you're enjoying these episodes, please consider leaving me a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps others to find this show. To learn more about my live classes, virtual meditation retreats, my meditation app Shoreline, or to make a donation to the show, please visit MerylArnett.com. Thanks again. I'll see you next week.